Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Miller. The mission of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics is to enhance your health, your physical health, and your mental health, to stimulate your thought, to encourage community, to expand your consciousness. How do you rank your physical health on a scale of 1 to 10? How do you rank your psychological health on a scale of 1 to 10? Are you willing to do those rankings? Are you? Are you willing to sit down and say to yourself, hey, how am I doing health-wise? You know, and how am I doing? I mean, really, how am I doing? Am I, am I willing to put it on a scale of 1 to 10? Am I do that kind of thing? And, oh, suppose I don't like what I, uh-oh. And how about your psychological health? What do you think, folks? Is that the kind of thing that's worth doing on a how often? A daily basis? A weekly basis? A monthly basis? Is it worth looking at ourselves that way? I think it is, and I imagine if you're listening to this program, you must think it is as well. How satisfied are you with your physical and mental health when you get right down to it? And if you're not satisfied, do you have a plan? What do you want to do about it? Are you willing to talk to your friends about it? I think it's worthwhile that we all talk to each other about our health. I think it's worthwhile sitting with friends and, and making health a topic of conversation. You know, something you talk about over lunch or over dinner. I was going to say over a few drinks, but that doesn't make sense, does it? Talk about your health over a few drinks. Um, but kidding aside, Part of the goal of the program is to, is to make health something that's an acceptable and a fun topic, not a dreary topic, not, not reading some heavy stuff that's just a drag to read, boring, little tiny print on a page, but, you know, stuff that's interesting, like our topic today. We're going to be talking about hypnosis. Everybody wants to know a little something about hypnosis. We've got Elena Guest here today a certified hypnotherapist who's going to be talking and answering your questions about what is hypnosis, how would you define it, things like that. So what about your health? How much are you willing to do to talk to your friends, to, just to make it a topic that you talk about on a regular basis? It's not fun if you're overweight to talk to your friends about being overweight or if you're smoking cigarettes or if you've got anxiety. It isn't. It's not something we're trained to do to say, hey, you know, I've got anxiety. I mean, like, my heart's pumping out of, out of my chest here at times. I wake up in the middle of the night scared. That's not typically the kind of thing we talk about over dinner or with friends, right? What do we do? We sort of keep a straight face? What, how's that song go? Laughing on the outside, crying on the inside? Is that the way we want to be? I think we can do a lot better. I think many of us certainly around here, are doing a lot better and want to continue to do a lot better. And, 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 and we can do better when we pull together, when, we, when we, we feel connected to one another. And that means sitting and talking. Well, I'm probably talking too much right now. I know I do that. So let's move on to the interview. With me today is Elena Guest. She's on the staff at the Mendocino Coast District Hospital. And she's very proud of that. She's a clinical hypnotherapist. She's certified by the Medical Support Hypnotherapist. She's a fellow of the International Board of Hypnotherapy. She's also certified as a clinical hypnosis 
a hypnotherapist, beg your pardon, by the National Guild of Hypnotists and the American Council of Hypnotist Examiners. That's a lot of, a lot of hypnotism going on there. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. Thank you. Let's jump right into the interview with, the, with, with something that so many people want to know, and that is, what is hypnosis? What is this? What is hypnosis? It's defined as an altered state of mind in which the critical factor is relaxed and selective thinking is established. But let me take that in three pieces and explain what I mean. An altered state of mind is very much like when you're lost in a creative project and you lose track of time. Time becomes elastic. Or when you're really engrossed in a wonderful novel or a, a movie, or everyone can relate to this, or you're driving along the road and you suddenly realize that you haven't been paying attention to your, your driving, that you've been daydreaming. That's what an altered state of mind is. So all of us really have had the experience of trance, whether we know it or not. That's an altered state of mind. And then I said, which relaxes the critical factor. Now, the critical factor you also know as your inner critic or critical voice. That incessant little voice that is always telling you what you should do or you shouldn't do, that's warning and criticizing and cajoling 24-7. And so one of the beauties of hypnosis is that it relaxes that, that voice, that inner critic at last, so that, as I said, selective thinking can be established. And selective thinking really means that you have access to your subconscious mind, which I'll talk about more later. So hypnosis is a, is a trance-like state. It's an altered, altered state. That's an interesting word. It's an altered state. Uh, we also often associate having an altered state with taking a drug. Is it something like taking a drug? Well, it can certainly take the place of drugs, which is one of the beauties of it, because, um, for instance, uh, I've worked with many people who have only been able to uh, sleep soundly and, and achieve restorative rest by taking some kind of a drug. And with hypnosis, you can achieve that level of restorative rest and learn how to acquire that yourself without taking any drug at all. Is hypnosis real? I mean, does it really happen? I mean, we, we hear that, you know, the, there's so much... Hypnosis is so varied in, in the sense that you use it as a professional and you have these credentials that I listed before, and yet at the same time, we know that uh, people stand up in theaters and they, they, they hypnotize everybody in the audience and then they've got them up there quacking like ducks and, you know, all that stuff yeah. and barking like dogs and so on. So it, it, it puts, the, it puts the, uh, the, the treatment modality in an in a unusual place in the public's mind, I believe, right? Because we don't have too many other treatment modalities where they're both used in our professional practice and then somebody is doing the same thing on the stage as an entertainment device, right? Yes, that, I'm so glad that you brought this up. It's one of my pet peeves. That, I would imagine. I would imagine. <laughs> that... Uh, I mean, your patients walking in the first day must be thinking, is she going to have me quacking like a duck and barking like, like a dog for her own amusement, or are we getting something done here? So one of the first things I 
do with people, and I'll do right here, is dispel some of those popular myths. Please. Um, you know, movies and television and even stage performances have used uh, the reference to hypnosis for great dramatic effect with Bengali-like figures that will uh, have a subject under their control. Well, nothing can be further from the truth. Actually, when, when one is in an hypnotic trance, the client is completely under control. In fact, he's hyper-aware. He has access to his subconscious mind as well as his conscious mind. And... In uh, control. You're saying the client yes, or patient yes. is in and, control. And they are more in control than the hypnotherapist. And that is one of the, the big un misunderstandings and the big fears. Uh, what I always reassure my clients right away when we have our interview is that unless it's been your lifelong desire to bark like a dog or quack like a duck, you're not going to do it here. In other words, someone is not going to do anything that is outside of his value system. That anything that one has seen on stage or in the movies or in, uh, on a television show is purely for dramatic effect. And that is not the truth about hypnosis. It's not a truth serum. It's not mind control. It is not the same as sleep. And that the, the person himself is actually in control the whole time. Can you get someone to do something while they're in this trance or in a hypnotic state that they would not necessarily do in a, in in a, in a non-trance or a conscious state? I mean, that's one of the public's fears, I know that, mm -hmm. right? That I'll go into this trance and, uh, and then I'll go out and do something that, I'm, that I, I'll be very ha unhappy that I did. And that is absolutely false. It is one of the big myths and, it, and this is absolutely false. No one has ever been stuck in hypnosis and and the hypnotist is not going to plant any idea that the, then the person is going to go out and do something. Absolutely not. This is, this is well, false. Uh, I think we can safely say that you're not going to plant anything in anybody's mind because of who you are in your training. But it, 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 on a theoretical basis, could not a, a hypnotist hypnotize someone and say to them something like, you're a policeman? and so-and-so just shot 14 children, and you better go out there and shoot them right away? No, it's absolutely, it's been, it's been proven, and um, I have, I have a, a documentary that I could show you where they tried to do this, something similar to that anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's and, the famous, and, that's the famous example, yes, right? And, that it, people, and it, they absolutely will not. As I said, people will not do something that's outside of their value system. Absolutely will not. They won't do something outside their value system. But even if it's constructed as within their value system, such as the example I gave, you're now a policeman or you're a soldier and, you, and those people just killed, you know, 1,700 people in your town and you're a soldier and you've got to go out. And, can it not be constructed that way so that they feel it's within their value system and then go out and do something? Well, what I'm saying is that the, the hypnotist does not have the ability or the, the control to... Uh, manipulate somebody to do something that is other than what they 
they came to do, what, yeah. what their initial yeah. issue or goal was that they came to address. Yeah, it sounds to me like this is a, a, another example of, uh, of the difference between uh, a particular uh, technique, strategy, or intervention, treat modality used by a professional uh, and, and a licensed professional such as yourself and the exact same uh, methodology used by someone else than they could you possibly use for nefarious purposes. I mean, it seems to me that what, what it underlines is that hypnosis is something to be done with a professional, but not necessarily to be done around the house and, 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 uh, and, and try out on one another, that that could be a little scary for people. Well, I would certainly recommend that one see a fully certified uh, credentialed yeah. hypnotherapist, yeah. of course, yes. Yeah. But it is real. Can anyone be hypnotized or just some of us can be no, hypnotized? No, I'm so glad that you asked that. Actually, statistics show that 95% of the population is hypnotizable. 5% are not hypnotizable by choice because they basically don't really want to. Um, and, and then 25% of the population will, even the first time that they work with a hypnotist, will go into a light state of trance and 45% of the population will go into a medium state of trance, and then the other 25% will go into a very deep state of trance, where should they want to do this, they could actually, uh, they, they go into a, a state of hypnoanalgesia, they, they could have surgery. Please don't put Michael into a trance. He's our engineer, folks. And don't put him into a trance while we're doing this program, because we need him to continue what he's doing over there. And remember, those of you who are listening from automobiles, you're either going to pull over to the side of the road or maybe turn to another program because we do not want to put you into a trance while you're driving a vehicle. And that, that is, is, is true. If you're, if you're one kind of a hypnotic uh, a subject or person, as you said, we, you know, we fall into these different categories. And l let's say I'm a person who goes into a light trance could I be trained so that I move into a, another category? In other words, is hypnotizability something that can be modified? Can we train ourselves or with the help of a person like yourself? Can, can we move on to it? Or like once you're in the category, you're sort of in it. And oh, if I understand your question, hypnosis, generally speaking, is cum cumulative so that uh, someone will be in a light state of trance, say, the first time they come to me, but maybe even by the second or certainly the third time that I see them, they are very likely to go into a medium state of trance. And, and then um, a lot of healing is, a lot of healing is possible. I work with so many people who suffer from acute and chronic pain and, and so the fact that it is cumulative and that they can achieve these effects is wonderful. And you know- They can I, go, cumulative meaning they can, they get diminished pain over time, more and more decrease in their pain level, huh? Yes, and what I also meant by that was that they're actually uh, entering into an hypnotic state a lot more easily, going a lot more deeply, a lot more quickly um, each time, and actually very much on their own, because with every client, I teach them a form of self-hypnosis. Self-hypnosis, self that's an interesting Because topic. hypnosis is really efficient compared especially with conventional talk therapy where one may go to see a therapist for months or even years um, 
Be careful now, you're playing, you're treading on my, on my specialty. Hey, I'm treading on my husband's specialty as well. And, and I don't mean to. What I, in fact, what, well, let me just finish my point, though. People who are using hypnosis to achieve a special goal often only need anywhere from one to six sessions to achieve that goal. And you have to admit, that's very effective. Now, just addressing what you, what you just brought up, it also is a great complement to conventional therapy. It's also a great complement to, to other, um, other f strategies that help people. So I work together with a number of physicians with a, and also with a number of alt alternative pr practitioners as well as psychotherapists so that we are collaborating together. Um, oftentimes with a particular uh, patient or client. You know, in case you're just tuning in, folks, uh, you're listening to Elena Guest. She's a certified clinical hypnotherapist, and this is uh, Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Miller. Typically, we wait until uh, later on in the interview uh, for you to call in. However, given the nature of this topic, and I know that uh, you have uh, tons of questions out there, I'm going to give you the phone number and invite you to start calling in whenever you like and um, just stay on the line because if we're right in the middle of, uh, of what we're talking about, we may uh, hold you off for a moment or two, but uh, we will take and welcome your call. The number here is 707-937-5103. Again, 707-937-5103. Don't hesitate. Pick up the phone and call with your questions um, about hypnosis. I've got lots of questions. I'm sure you have lots of questions. It, is hypnosis like sleep? It isn't. It's not like sleep? No, but let me tell you um, something funny and, and why I think people may have that idea. Hypnosis actually comes from the Greek word hypnos, who was the good-natured Greek god of sleep. He was the god of sleep. And his mother, Nyx, who was the goddess of night, according to the myth, would ascend to the sky, bringing dusk and then darkness behind her, accompanied by her son Hypnos, who uh, sprinkled sleep-inducing poppies over the earth below. Oh, it's a great <laughs> and, image. I and love so, it. And so I like to think that somehow this myth has lingered and, and given us the mistaken impression that it's like sleep. Remember I said that hypnosis is more like hyper-awareness, and I'll tell you what I mean. So it's the other side of sleep. Let me just interrupt you for one second, because I asked for callers and we're getting one, and then we'll come right back to okay, that. Okay, great. Thank you. Put them on the air, Michael, please. Hi, welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. Um, <clears throat> one thing I'm wondering about is uh, the cost of hypnotherapy. Um, can you give a general range what somebody can expect to cost? A friend of mine who's trying to quit smoking is really in need of it, and he's looking into it. Mm -hmm. The problem is he's on unemployment right now. Mm. And, of course, the stress of being unemployed and not having the money for cigarettes has really made him have to face certain things. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, is there what's the least expensive way to get it? Because we're both, he and I have been conferring with each other and are both pretty convinced this would be a great step for him to take. Could you speak to um, smoking in particular and costs in particular? Well, I, I think the least expensive way, which is the question you asked, uh, would be to go to a federally or publicly funded clinic where you might not have to pay at all. 
Now, Elena's in private practice, so there's a fee for service. I don't know if you're comfortable discussing your fees for service on the air. Um, that's up to you. Um, but uh, in terms of the direct answer to your question, the least expensive way has to be to be to go to other than a person like Elena, uh, who's in private practice. I'm in private practice also in a, in a other specialty, but we charge for our services. So again, the least expensive way would be to go to a place like the Mendocino Coast Clinic and see if they have someone there. Or you might go to the hospital and arrange to have Elena see you at the hospital because that can be done as well. And then you get uh, uh, charged through the hospital and you'd have to ask them about that. But you're always going to have, uh, the, the rule of thumb is the, the fee for, your, for whatever the cost is, whether it's in hypnotherapy, psychotherapy, or medical treatment, is going to be less if you go to a, a, an excellent clinic like the Mendocino Coast Clinic uh, than to private practitioners. Uh, because the clinics are funded by the state and the federal government where private practitioners get all of their fees from their patients. I hope that's clear. Well, we seem to have lost her. Let's, uh, do we, uh, so I, I just want to make a want, comment. Do you want to add to that and I, then put the other person on and we'll take them after. I that. would like Please, to Michael. add to that and, and remind the listeners that I said that hypnosis is certainly the most economically attractive strategy I know of for, for smoking and a wide variety of issues. So I, I want to say that while I couldn't promise that everyone who comes to me who wants to quit smoking would be able to quit smoking with just one session, I have had many, many people who have been able to quit with just one session. I do want to say that they would have to be really ready to quit, which, I, which sounds like the last caller uh, was indicating that her friend really is ready at this point. Another question for you. Um, oh, do we have somebody on the air? Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. Hello. Is Hi. It, uh, is it like meditation? And if not, what is the difference? Oh, great question. <laughs> it is a great question. Thank you Thank so much. You. Um, actually, the, the medium state of trance is very much like meditation. There are a number of features about it that are, that are very similar. However, the difference would be that generally speaking with meditation, you are paring down your thoughts to, to just focusing on your breath and quieting your mind and then even getting to a place where you're just uh, entering a place of abstract thought and the real difference, the chief difference with hypnosis is that you have a focus on a particular goal that you want to achieve or an issue that you want to resolve. And so that hypnotic trance is going to allow you to access your inner wisdom because you have a lot of the answers inside and your hypnotist is going to be able to help you access your own answers of how to achieve that goal or resolve your issue. Mm -hmm. Good, good. Yes, let's do it, Michael. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. Hi. Tim Hi. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Great show. Thank you. Um, uh, Thanks for calling. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for being on the air. Uh, two things. Number one, I'd like to know about the forgetfulness after you uh, come out of the trance. Oh, good question. And the second thing is I'd like to know about the limitations of hypnosis. Mm. What won't it help with? Okay. Oh, those are great questions. Thank you very much. I love both these questions. Mm -hmm. Thank you. 
th this is also a misunderstanding. Actually, when people come out of hypnosis, generally speaking, they remember everything. So this is one of the ways in which it's so different than sleep, because they, they come out of trance and they are usually so happy and amazed. They have all of this information, they're motivated, and they are, of course, thrilled that they recall uh, the whole of the session. And, and I'm, I'm sorry, what was the other question that was so great? Are you there? Do we lose the, we lose yeah, the caller? Yeah, we, we lost her, yeah. What does it not treat? Oh, what, is, what does it not treat? Thank yeah. you. Yeah, that's You're great. Welcome. Well, um, even though Andrew Weil says, and I, I concur, that uh, he doesn't think there's anything that's out of bounds uh, to try hypnotherapy on, I still have to say that for those who are, severely depressed and require um, prescription drugs because of severe depression, who, are, um, who have suicidal ideation or are um, experiencing extreme mental uh, disorders such as psychosis, I would say these things are out of bounds for me. I will not treat people who fall in those categories. Well, typically, people with uh, with severe uh, mental illnesses are uh, extre they're extremely difficult to uh, put into a hypnotic trance because the ability to focus uh, is is so hard, and then they're so fearful that uh, I'm sure they're they're much more fearful than the people that come in for mm -hmm. you know let's say uh, you know less less potent less less aggressive kinds of illnesses. Um, I have a, a note here from a, from a, somebody who emailed me uh, before the program. They wanted to know, can I get stuck in hypnosis? Like, uh, if I go in and I have a hypnotic session, and uh, you know, could I have a? Uh, could it linger? Can I? Will I still be? In, can I get out of it, or can I have a flashback and all of a sudden, you know, like I'll I'll hear something that reminds me of the session and I'll just go into a trance? The things like that. That was the question this person has. Okay, as I said earlier, there has never been an instance uh, documented in all history of anyone being stuck in hypnosis. Not getting stuck in hypnosis. No, it's it's absolutely hasn't okay. ever happened. Well, thank you for sending in that email. I think you got the answer as clear as you can. You're not <laughs> going to get stuck in it. We have another call, Michael? Yeah. Hi, welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. Yes, um, I had a question for Elena Guest. The Good. And uh, I wanted to know what best practices uh, to continue after a hypnotic session, such as a creative process practice. Oh, wonderful question. Thank you. Well... This gives me an opportunity to say that with every client, I record a personalized CD which contains their positive therapeutic suggestions. And the CD includes a um, guided visualization which leads them into a light trance. And then that's followed by their own positive therapeutic suggestions, which, by the way, are their own words. I just essentially am a scribe during the session, and I write down, I alluded to this before, their own wisdom, the, 
the solutions to their problems that come out of the subconscious mind, out of this very wise place. And then I record those, and then I record a count out. This usually is no more than 15 minutes at the most. And so what I, I give them these as accelerators so that after they see me, every day, ideally a couple times a day, they're listening to these CDs, and that accelerates the work. It accelerates their motivation to actually achieve the goal, and if I'm seeing them another time or two, then each time they see me, they receive another CD. And by the way, these are for them to have as lifetime support. And that's included in the cost of the session at no extra charge. Uh, well, let's take it, Michael. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. Thank you. I was cut off from Elena. Oh, beg yeah. your pardon. But that's okay. Yes? Oh, did you hear my answer? Elena, yes, thank you. It's Sister <laughs> Stacy, and I appreciate it. Oh, somebody you know. I'm sorry, you yes. said, who is it? It's Stacy, thank you. Oh, oh. you're welcome. Okay, Stacy, right. thanks for calling back. Thank sorry you. you were cut off there. That's all right. I'm going to pause now and just say that uh, how much I appreciate those of you who are calling in. I've noticed uh, that in so many of our programs that when I uh, make a request for you to pick up the phone and call in that you do, and you call in with such great questions that it, it, it makes for a, a much more lively and, uh, and uh, an interesting and educational show because something for you all to please, you know, keep it, we all keep in mind that when you call in, there's a good chance that the question you're calling in with is a question that many folks have, but not everybody's comfortable calling in and, and being on the air or having people hear them on the air. In fact, one person said to me privately in the gym just a couple of weeks ago, he said, you know, I've got questions on your program. He said, but I don't know if I'm comfortable having my friends, if they hear me, you know, asking those kind of questions. So, you know, I might want to ask you that kind of thing privately. And so that was, an eye, that was really an eye-opener for me to, to, to understand that and, and get, get a, a perspective on that. Sure, Michael, let's go ahead. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. Yes, I'm, I too got cut off, but it's perfectly fine. Um, uh, I'm wondering, can it be applied to a specific incident? Let's say you had a traumatic incident and suffer uh, periodic post-traumatic stress that gets triggered. Um, is it can you use it very specifically for that? And then again, if somebody came in and wanted to have a generally uh, uh, better just sense of self, can it also be used mm. for something less specific and less, let's say, traumatic, but more just as an overall life enhancement? Thank you very much. I'll take this off the air. Thank you so much for these questions. They're marvelous. And as uh, Richard said, uh, I'm so grateful that you're calling in with these, uh, these questions because they, re they really get to the heart of things. Actually, I treat PTSD a great deal. I was talking to Richard before we went on the air and, and telling him that thus far, I'm surprised and privileged to say that I've had 100% success of reducing the emotional reactivity to a traumatic event for people down from what in many cases on an analog scale of zero to 10 where they're, they're at an eight or a 10 of really high emotional reactivity down very close to a zero every time. And, uh, and of course that's, that's extremely, extremely gratifying. 
and um, and I'm sorry. Are you still there? No, she said oh, she'd she's, take it okay, off the tell, air. Tell me again the other question, because it was fabulous, and I'm not recalling what it was. I'm not recalling what it was oh, either. Well, she needs to call back, because it was fabulous. The second half of the question. <laughs> Yeah. I have a question here, though, from another uh, somebody else who wrote in, and they said the word here. I mean, it's a, it's a complicated email here. It's the, they're saying that, that when you refer to yourself as a hypnotist, and the people who do this in theater refer, refer to themselves as hypnotists, that that's causing part of the problem. Isn't there some way that you could differentiate? This person wants to know so that you're not referred to as a hypnotist and they're not referred to it, and that causes the confusion. You know, if so and so say, "Oh, Elena's a hypnotist," how do you know if she's a hypnotist that does it professionally or she's going to be on the stage? Well, one of the reasons, one of the distinctions is that those people are generally to my knowledge, always referred to as stage hypnotists. And I refer to myself most often, and you'll see this, as a hypnotherapist. Uh -huh. The people who are doing that, the dramatic stage presentations, do not refer to themselves as therapists. Are they, they real, are, though? Are they really hypnotizing people in the audience, or are those shills who um, are getting up and know, quacking and barking? Often, they are, as you say, shills. They are, mm -hmm. but and, and are some of those people who do that able to actually talk to an audience and, and hypnotize a certain number of them who are sitting right there and then bring them on stage? I mean, is, is some of that real? You know, as I said, as I said, no one is going to come up and bark like a dog or quack like a duck unless that's something that they really want to do of their own accord. Yeah, no, but I mean, are some of the people in the audience actually going into a trance when those folks are up there on stage? And, and, you know, and people who, who are very, very suggestible uh, will probably go into a light state of trance, but they're, they're certainly not going to um, do the things that the stage hypnotist you know, is asking the person who's been previously arranged to come up yeah, and do something. Yeah, yeah. I remember m many years ago there was a man who was very famous for uh, reading minds. His name was Dunninger. I don't know, and uh, and he would have people in the audience, and he would have them stand up, and he would tell them things about themselves. And 20 or 30 years later, it turned out that he had people in the audience sitting next to people, and they would be sort of chatting with them and finding out things about them, and they had a little sender in their mouths, and they actually sent the information to him, and he had a little receiver in his <laughs> ear, and so he would get the information, and that's how he was able to do it. Okay, Michael, let's uh, let's take another call. Hi there. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. Yes, you, you asked me to call back. The question was... Yes, oh, thank can, you so much. Of course. Can hypnosis be used um, in, for just general enhancement of one's life? Oh, uh, yes. yes. Self-esteem. Absolutely. And, and, and a quick aside, a quick aside. Yeah. My husband and I both attended a stage hip, hypnotist, and now this is... We've been married over 40 some years. Congratulations. Okay, yes, lucky us. And this was before we were married, and it was a guy named Dr. Dean, and he was a hypnotist, no no Dr. Dean Adele, it was a guy named just Dr. Dean, and he performed in San Diego. My husband was hypnotized by him, and my husband was one of the guys, unbelievable, that put his, that they put up on the chairs with his heels. Oh, yeah. And stood on. Mm -hmm. Now, my husband is once at that time, he had shrunk a little. But, but, you know, he was under a little under 5'10", and, and this huge guy stood on him. And he turned wow. Him yeah. so, so that was real. So Your husband was wasn't real. paid to do that. But get this. He did say that...
that when they also sent different people from the audience into the bathroom and told men, traditionally, you have to go to the bathroom, but you can't take your hands out of your pocket, that my husband, before he was stood on... Wait a minute. You have to go to the bathroom, but you can't take, take your, your hands... hands. What does that, that mean? That was the is suggestion, it... supposedly, that so you... gave people in the audience. So does that mean they were supposed to go in there and so wee-wee and without... When, t- he, when and... he said something like, you know, look at that thing over there... They all got up out of the audience and went into the bathroom with the urge to, to go to the bathroom. Now, that was the stage gimmick. My husband said when he went to the bathroom as one of the people, he didn't really feel like he couldn't take his hands out of his pocket, and he therefore didn't even think he was really hypnotized. And when he went back up on the stage, that he realized only that he was really hypnotized when he, uh, when he was able to become so rigid. Mm. And they stood so, on him. And they stood on him. And mm-hmm. so, obviously, he's a highly suggestible guy. Uh, well, he's, he's highly suggestible with regard to people standing on him, but he's not highly suggestible with regard to going to the bathroom with, a, with, with exactly. his hands in his so pocket. That, that's what I thought was interesting. Yeah. And, and, and um, he was a tremendous athlete at the time, young athlete. So I don't think he probably had any fear about being he didn't have on. any objection to he that, you see. He didn't have any see. objection yeah. to it. For him, it would have been just another yeah. physical feat he could do, yeah. kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but somebody controlling whether he urinated or not, I suppose, was a bigger deal to him. Yeah, but, so that's, but, that's what I was trying to get at. I really appreciate exactly. your, your example. So I want to talk about... Great story, by the, the way. Thank the, you. I want to talk about the self-esteem. Terrific story. And I, and I really thank you for this question because... What I have noticed over all of the years and the many hundreds of people who I've seen and helped is that even though they come with a presenting issue of wanting to lose weight or or quit smoking or be able to have a better golf game or reduce their anxiety, whatever it is, oftentimes what really is at the heart of everything is that their self-esteem needs to be boosted. And... And indeed, when we are working this deeply, working with the, with the subconscious and getting down to some of these uh, core negative beliefs that we all have deep down in our subconscious, and, and in hypnosis, we're able to amend those, actually, we're actually, actually able to reverse them permanently so that one comes out of a session feeling that, that they're worthy that they're, that they're innocent, that they're lovable, that they're fine just the way they are. They essentially, in many cases, I would say, really fall in love with themselves in a certain way for the first time in their lives and really boost their self-esteem. And then it's almost like a domino effect. All of the other things that they had wanted start to fall into place. So I, I, I really appreciate this question because it's truly one of the best advantages of working with a hypnotherapist is that you can achieve better self-esteem. We want to take that call, Michael. I think it's... Uh, no, yeah, there it is. Hi there. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. Yeah, hi. Thanks. Uh, that was a great answer. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Because what falls in place is I appreciate you being in your body and you're doing so wonderful and healing the people from the, from the upper level. And uh, it's also very wonderful to heal people from the lower level. It's so great. I'm here resident in this body and uh, I make the best out of it. 
And I just want a, a short example. I went to Paris once with my girlfriend, and we are there in Pompidou, out this big plaza. And here's a hypnotist. And he, for anybody in the audience, he's asking for a volunteer. And he only works with two chairs. One chair, um, maybe five feet away from the other chair, opposite direction. So he's asking this big man, six foot tall, so uh, please come here. Okay, uh, look in my eyes. In front of everybody, this man became very stiff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He became so stiff, so actually he was in his mind, he was gone, not receptive. So he leaned back onto his neck, onto the, the, the lean of the chair, the, the upper part. And then he goes around and he takes his legs and put it on his heel on the other side of the chair. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, the audience, like myself or everybody else, we just jaw drop, basically, with just, wow, you know? And then after maybe a minute or two, he went and put the legs back down on the ground and set the man up and snapped his finger and said, hello, how are you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> or something. <laughs> So I just wanted to relate that story that we are in the body and we're just, uh, the body's like a machine. You can do anything from the upper level, but we're just uh, slowly getting there. Thank you very much for your show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you for that story. That story is just like the story of the lady that called before who said her very husband similar. before they were married. Mm -hmm. It was suspended between the two mm -hmm. chairs. Mm -hmm. uh, that's evidently a little a, a trick that or mm -hmm. a game that they... But again, the woman who called before said her husband wasn't a shill. He really was spread out like that. But he and wasn't doing anything that was outside of his value system. And, and no, what it, I, but it just shows that 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 technique can be used to have a person stretched between two chairs and keep their body rigid, even though they didn't come in, say, as a patient or a client. They were just sitting in an audience. Mm -hmm. That that's the depth mm -hmm. that the stage hypnotist can get somebody into mm -hmm. as well. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. Um, we have another, I, I have another one to read here, but we have somebody else calling. The calls are just, let's, uh, we might as well just take it, Michael. Hi there, welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. I have a very serious question to ask you, and I regret that I can anticipate what the answer is, but I hope I'm wrong. Go ahead. Long years ago, I had a wonderful friend, and I never dreamed that he had a very dark secret. And to get to it, as it turns out, after many years of a close and wonderful friendship with this fellow, he was a child molester. Subsequent to my discovering that, he has over the years been arrested many times and imprisoned I have long ago let go of that relationship, and yet in my heart, I'm still concerned about him. I still wonder about him, but I've never made any attempt at having communication with him because I have no respect for someone that does things like that. So the question is simple. Can you deal with people like that? Are, is your question... 
whether... Can you deal with child molesters? Can you help them stop doing what they do? They're predators. Uh-huh. And they don't seem to be able to do anything about them. Obviously, imprisonment doesn't do it. Well, let me let me answer your question best I sure, can. Sure, anything. Okay. Um, I... I think I said earlier, but if not, I really want to emphasize that when a client comes to me or I work with a patient, they have to be very enthusiastic about a result. The person himself really needs to want to change. And then I will meet them halfway and work with them to, to create that change. To the best of my knowledge, this is not apt to be true with somebody with, uh, with this problem. Uh, with all of the reading and research I've done, and maybe Richard will chime in and tell me if this is true, um, this is a very serious uh, condition that is not easily amended or, or treated, and, uh, and I believe in most instances, or not, well, at least most instances, the, uh, the person is not basically really willing to to uh, change it for good. And, and I, I'm not able to help somebody, frankly, um, who really does not want the, the goal I, I to be achieved or, or, the, or the issue to be resolved. Yeah. If, if their wife has said so or their, or their doctor or a friend has said, gee, you really need to change this, and you know, out of respect or love for the friend, they come in and see me, it's probably not going to change because they have to really want it themselves. But Richard, I'd be interested to hear what you have to say as yeah. well. Yeah, well, you know, in, in drug treatment, the United States, uh, the, uh, the philosophy across the country is pretty much one of an, what's called the abstinence model. In other words, if you've been a, a, an alcoholic or a heavy drinker, the, the treatment, uh, uh, the philosophical treatment for most is that you don't drink at all. Europe is on a different uh, standard. Europe teaches what's called controlled use so that an alcoholic can still go back and drink a drink or two. Um, the reason that we don't hear, one of the major reasons that we don't hear, uh, do, uh, use the, the controlled use model, is because we're a very litigious society. You know, we sue each other left and right. So the question for the therapist is, if I'm going to select one of 50 of my alcoholic patients and say, you're the one who I think can control their use, you can go back to drinking. And if I choose the wrong one, and if that person then goes back to drinking and goes out and kills somebody with a car while they're drunk, then I'm liable and responsible. Um, and so the same holds true with this child molester issue. There probably are some, in fact, I, I, just based on human nature, I would say that there are some who can be cured. The issue is we don't know how to identify yet which the, who the ones are that can be cured. And so if any therapist or group of therapists or doctors in a hospital or people in a prison were to choose the wrong one and then they go out and molest a bunch of children, the results would be disastrous. So as a result, we take the position of they're incurable, but they're really not incurable. Uh, the same is true for schizophrenia, by the way. Schiz uh, Freud, Sigmund Freud called uh, schizophrenia the narcissistic neurosis. He said they're so turned in on themselves that you can't, uh, you, you can't cure them. That isn't the case at all. Schizophrenics can be cured. 
but it's a huge job. It's a tremendous job, and it can take a lot of time, and it's usually just above the, the, the time constraints, let alone the financial constraints uh, of most people. To, so that's why they're, they're considered incurable, although they're not. I think the same is true for child molesters. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a, I'm not meaning to come to their defense by any means, so please don't hear what I'm saying is that. But I think this is yet another example of sort of blaming the victim or blaming the patient. These people are very sick people. They're some of the sickest people in our society, and we all know that. But that doesn't mean that we won't come up with a, with a cure for it. It just means they've got a very serious uh, sickness. I mean, you could say the same thing, you know, uh, uh, about cancer. I mean, it's extremely serious, but that doesn't mean we're not going to come up for a cure. But I wouldn't want to say that, therefore, a person who has cancer is incurable. Uh, so it's not the case. I, I hope I'm, uh, you know, answering the question there. I mean, that's what it comes down to, is how do you identify who? Uh, I mean, I've known cases of somebody, I, I know of an actual case, of a person who was a, a, a pedophile and then who w went the rest of their lives. And, and they were let out and, and, and lived a regular life. But it, not a regular life, because they live terrible lives, because once you're a pedophile, you're mocked forever. And then what they go through is, is quite a, a something that's another topic. Maybe we ought to do a show on it. So I, I'm sure it's possible. But again, how do we, we don't know yet how to identify them. And so uh, they're, in, they're in a very bad situation. And, and most of them are going to be incarcerated once they're caught for the rest of their lives. Um, are we waiting for somebody? No, we're not. So I have another question here for you. Uh, this fellow says... Um, I have erectile dysfunction and I cannot use Viagra because I have a cardiovascular condition and my uh, doctor says that uh, I can't use Viagra. Uh, is there any evidence for uh, uh, the success with erectile dysfunction uh, with hypnosis? I have worked with one client who was uh, really thrilled with the work we did and uh, resolved this issue. Um, and he's <laughs> been thanking me profusely ever since. Uh-huh. So we have an N of one. That's what that's called, an N of one. Mm -hmm. I don't know the literature on the answer to this. Uh, I thank you for sending in the question. I don't know the literature on uh, if there is any evidence, uh, scientific evidence on it at all. Uh, that actually leads me to another question, but we've got a, a caller, so let's take the caller instead. Hi, welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. Good You're, morning. Good morning. And thank you for the show. You're Elena. welcome. Uh, I wanted to address Elena. It's Christy. Yes. Hi. Hi. I had heard about a child molestation case with Marshall Rosenberg, who's a, a PhD a psychiatrist with nonviolent communication, and he worked with a man with nonviolent principles, the principles of NBC, and he found that um, he was saying, what good uh, core values were you trying to meet in the in the actions that you took? And the man thought he was crazy. He had to really work deeply with this man. He was in jail. Um, and eventually they got to this that the man, first of all, was bringing kids home because he was told that he was no good throughout his life and he had no friends, so he had access to friends this way. And then his next strategy of molestation, he said well, this was the hard one to get to after a lot of work, he really broke down and he said, because when I look in their eyes, I see that somebody knows my pain. And he was molested by his father mm -hmm. growing up mm -hmm. and told he was no good and constantly uh, beaten down. So this was a very poor strategy to meet a very important need of, of uh, connection to, mm -hmm. you know, resonation. Mm -hmm. So I thought that might be 
an interesting piece to throw in. It was a valuable thing for me to hear. Mm -hmm. Well, you're alluding to the something I said just a couple of minutes ago, which is that when you get right down to it, we have these, most of us, as well as all the positive evidence we have and positive beliefs, we have old wounds and old core negative beliefs that absolutely can be reversed and amended permanently by working with this particular strategy. And so I thank you for, for uh, talking about it this way, because that is definitely the way I work. Are there, are there some words that are more uh, suggestive than others in hypnosis? Are there some words that sort of get people more into a trance than other words? Or is it more just, is it more the presentation rather than specific words? Well, let me just say that uh, I work a lot, I like to think, like Milton Erickson did, where he valued the use of language and particularly the use of symbol and metaphor very much, which is something that we, we all do as clinical hypnotherapists. Um, and when I say that I'm really careful about language, let me tell you what I mean. That we're all familiar with the word placebo, which just means a harmless pill which one is led to believe is um, going to achieve an effect, but it's nothing more than a sugar pill. And, and, and uh, statistics have shown us that up to 30% of the people who take just a sugar pill get the same result as those who are taking an actual prescription. And so that's what a placebo is, but I wonder if you know what a nocebo is. A nocebo comes from the root word nocere, to harm, and a nocebo is an example of that is when a well-meaning but in the moment thoughtless doctor gives a dire prognosis to a patient when as it happens he's particularly suggestible when the patient is waiting there and and wondering what he's going to be told and is anxious, I can tell you, he's in a very receptive state, and when the doctor gives him a dire prognosis, that becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Or it can be something as simple as somebody who has a needle phobia, and they're waiting patiently in the office for the nurse to come in and uh, give them a shot, and if they're, they've managed to get themselves calmed down a bit, but then the nurse, who's running late, runs in and says, this is probably going to hurt, and jabs the person in the arm. This is probably going to hurt. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. the, the phrase, the, the, the sentence, this is probably going to hurt, is yeah. a nocebo. And boy, does that, <laughs> does that work, that power of suggestion. Yeah, that's a great answer. Uh, well, we're coming to the end of our time, and so is there anything you want to say in, in wrapping up about, uh, about hypnosis? Well, I just want to say that um, I feel very privileged to do this work. I'm, I'm passionate about it. There, it, has, it is my calling, and I'm very grateful to have uh, found this work. I consider myself a healing artist, and I have loved uh, all of these years working with people to achieve all of their various goals and resolving their issues and 
I know that I'm going to continue to do so because mm -hmm. there is there's nothing like that. Um, Emerson, Emerson said that um, if one person breathes more easily because because of you, that is really to have succeeded, and I subscribe to that, mm -hmm. and I get mm -hmm. to to uh, see that, frankly, every day. And so it, it really allows me to feel like a success, and it makes me happy. <laughs> yes, and something I know that you told me before the show, which I'll end with, which is that you yourself had a very uh, successful experience uh, in a hypnotic trance, which, which transformed your life in a very positive way and was very influential in, in your going into this career. That's true. So thank you very much for being on the program today. <laughs> I look forward to hearing from you again sometime in the future. And for those of you who want to uh, look further and to Elena Guest, you can reach her at elenaguesthypnotherapy.com. Again, that's www.elenaguesthypnotherapy.com. I'm sure if you just remember Elena Guest and go to Google, you'll be able to uh, find her. Um, looks like we are coming to the end of the program, so I don't have much time to say all the many things that I wanted to say. So what I will say is thank you very much for being part of the program today, with particular thanks to those of you who took the time to call in. Uh, thanks to our staff at KZYX and to my friend and engineer sitting right here, Mike Delora. Please join me again in exactly two weeks at 9 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Until then, this is Dr. Richard Miller reminding you that good health is worth fighting for, and it's essential for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness.